Hey, babe. Thanks for pushing play today. I just wanted to let you know before we get into our amazing episode that my brand new self-love masterclass, Love the Fuck Out of Yourself, is now on sale for only $29. We will be meeting on February 16th at 3 p.m., Eastern Standard Time via Zoom. Of course, you can catch the replay if you can't come to the live, but we are going to love the fuck out of ourselves this February, this Valentine's Day. So whether you're in a relationship or alone or confused, I am going to show you how to love yourself and why it is so important. Click the link in the show notes to get your spot today. You're listening to the Sip and Vibe podcast hosted by your babe, Alexis Amato. I'm a former struggling bartender and makeup artist who transformed herself to a six-figure career boss who traveled globally in hotel sales. Now, I'm a master mindset coach and a CEO of my own life with three businesses that I built from the ground up. I'm here to push you past your limits and give you the inspiration you need to say goodbye to what's holding you back and hello to the dream life ahead of you. By implementing mindful practices into your daily life, you will step out of the box and start reaching towards your boss babe within. So sit back, take a sip, and let's vibe. Welcome back to the Sip and Vibe. I am Alexis, your host and master mindset coach. And today I am with a very special guest and special friend, Mary. She is the creator of Mary's Cup of Tea, which is an online platform that empowers women to be more confident in their bodies and love themselves unconditionally. After recovering from an eating disorder, Mary started her Instagram account, Mary's Cup of Tea, to help women heal body image struggles and find self-love. Now, Mary is a published author, TEDx speaker, and a women's self-love retreat host. She also has an amazing podcast called Mary's Cup of Tea, where she shares self-love and body image advice and talks all things women empowerment. How are you, Mary? Hi, Alexis. I'm so glad we could finally do this. What are you sipping on, by the way? I am sipping on, actually, I have tea and it is in the kitchen, but I have my energy tea, but I don't actually, you know me from our retreat. I don't drink caffeine. I was that girl at the retreat asking all of the um, staff there if they could find me decaf tea, but green tea is like so known in Costa Rica that they they like were telling me that green tea was decaf. And I was like, no, it's not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, right. Green tea has me bouncing off the walls harder than coffee. No, it does. It does. Yeah. Um, but I do have a very, very lightly caffeinated um, tea that I've been drinking on. What are you sipping on? Actually, green tea, ironically. <laughs> <laughs> I felt like I wanted the like bit of energy. Um, you know, it's like a pomegranate green that I really, really love too. Oh, yes. I've heard mm-hmm. you talk about the pomegranate tea. 
Um, So just to give you guys a little background on how I know Mary, I found her, I believe, actually, I looked up, I don't know, even know if you know this, but I first looked up women's self-love retreat because I was just going through stuff and I really was at the start of my self-development journey. This was shortly before COVID and then it got pushed back and all of that type of stuff. And so that's how I really found you. And then it led me to your page. And then I really fell in love with you. So anyways, we just got back from Costa Rica, not just it was last summer in July. And it was such an amazing experience. She is doing another Costa Rica trip trip in New Year's Eve, but it is sold out, unfortunately, for us, um, as well as a Spain retreat in May, which is also sold out. <laughs> so be sure to watch out for her other retreat. And um, my best friend actually is going to your retreat and she loves your podcast. And I already told our simul- our friend, me and Mary have a mutual friend, Allie, who's a photographer, an amazing photographer. And I told her, I was like, you guys are getting Kara and it's literally like me, but not me. And so you'll feel like you have some Alexis in Spain with you guys. (laughs) I love that. And you'll be there at heart and maybe last minute you'll come to. (laughs) Yes. I am thinking about last minute surprising you guys, but we'll keep that for for later. That'd be Um, so fun. So I know you and I know your story, but I think that my followers would love to hear your story and kind of the background about why you are so, um, you're so body positive, you are so women empowerment. And I know that there's a turning point in every woman's life. I know mine, you helped me get mine actually at your retreat. Um, so I'm curious to know like where your big turning point was in your life to help you start this journey to Mary's cup of tea. Mm. I love questions about turning points because I think a lot of people expect like, uh, I almost died kind of story. But for me personally, my biggest turning points come from, um, those little moments where, you're just like having a conversation with somebody and they say something in a certain way that just hits different. And for me, like I'm kind of this auditory learner and also a big people person. So if you like, I I remember the way people say things and certain things will just stick with me for life. Um, But basically I struggled with body image my whole life um, since I was about a through middle school and high school and I got really deep into the fitness world and like gym culture I was even competing on stages as a bikini fitness competitor when I was like 16 17 years old Um, so I really ran my body and my mental health down to the ground before kind of coming to this point where I was first of all physically just absolutely exhausted um I was binge eating every single night because I was constantly like yo-yo dieting and um, I could like, I don't know, I felt like I was constantly either binging or vowing to start another diet the next day and just going into that vicious cycle. And of course, all the mental consequences that go into that of just feeling like shit all the time and like a failure after every single thing that I ate, whether it was a binge or like one extra almond or anything that wasn't on my diet or meal plan. Um, And then I hit this point where I was training for my third bikini competition 
And um, my coach had suggested that I do like quote unquote big girl supplements, which is like steroids, kind of like illegal stuff. And so, and how old are you at this point? I think I just turned 18. Okay. Yeah. I just turned 18 and I just remember like studying for, and I was first year in college. I remember studying for my accounting exam and not being able to read my notes because my handwriting was so like shaky because of just all the stimulants that I was on Mm -hmm. and like not eating and coffee and then these like fat burners and supplements and all these things and then doing like so much cardio and over exercising and not sleeping and all of that like I remember looking at my notebook and not being able to read my notes or study for my test um and that just I don't know that that was like a little micro moment that I had and then I think my coach's wife or something if I remember correctly somebody yeah related to my coach like randomly messaged me on Facebook and was like hey I think you're really struggling you should maybe consider seeing a naturopath. And I didn't know what that was, but I was definitely at a point where something fell off. And so I took her advice and I went to this um, woman that she recommended just to get like screening of my hormones. And like, I was also in and out of the hospital with kidney infections, which is now that I look back at it, so normal um, given like the amount of protein I was consuming. And I was also like randomly fainting. And so long story short, what I didn't realize or what I couldn't admit to myself or what nobody really said to me because it was so normalized in the industry that I was in was that I had a full-blown eating disorder. Um, But again, I just didn't know that because I think diet culture and just weight loss commentary and people always being on diets. And then that was the exact point when like social media had gotten big and fitness people were like the big celebrities that everybody followed on, on Instagram. And because of all that, I think that our society almost like normalizes eating disorders because the stereotypical view of eating disorders is that like, Oh, you're anorexic and you don't eat and you're in the hospital and that's bad. But we forget that like disordered eating is a thing. Like even if you don't, even if it's not a full-blown eating disorder, so many people struggle with disordered eating or disordered exercise or just not trusting their bodies or constantly feeling like they don't look good enough or wanting to change things. So I think most women in Western culture will fall on some part of the spectrum of just not liking how they look. And um, the other thing behind that is that we place so much worth and value on our appearance because that's what society says like especially for women the number one thing is to be quote-unquote attractive and that comes with a certain look right that we have in our minds um Mm -hmm. so yeah that was a big turning point for me and the conversation that I had with my naturopath that really did it for me even while I was still in denial Um, was I was like sitting in her office and I was just telling her, I'm like, I don't know why I keep binge eating. Like I'm eating so much and it still doesn't feel like enough. And I'm binge eating every single night and I can't control it. I was at a point where I was like stealing food from grocery stores because I was also a student and couldn't afford all the eating and um, just feeling like really, really, really ashamed of myself and like hating myself. And she just shook her head with so much compassion. And she's like, honey, you're just so stressed. You're so stressed and you're putting yourself through so much. And she just kept repeating, like, you're so stressed. I was annoyed at her. I kind of lost it. I'm like, 
what could I possibly be freaking stressed about? Like life is not that bad. Um, I think we do that a lot to ourselves, right? We like just minimize that. And she's like, worrying about what other people think about you all the time is really fucking stressful. And I was like, whoa. So that was like a big moment for me. And really when I started just healing and it started with baby things, like I didn't go to the gym as much and um, letting myself eat more. And eventually I moved away from not only my gym and my apartment and switched universities, but I moved to a whole different country. And I lived in Canada for a while with my boyfriend at the time. And that just brought a lot of healing for me too, just shaking things up and getting out of my environment. That's great. Wow. That's definitely a powerful story. And I resonate with the fact that, you know, all, all women have insecurities and, you know, I, I have one thing that I've been trying to accept, I guess, um, is compliments because I used to be the girl where somebody would tell me that I'm pretty and I would be like, you're just saying that because you're my mom or you're just saying that because you're my boyfriend or no, I'm not. I look disgusting today. You know what I mean? And like nothing was ever good. And the last like couple of years, I've really, you know, especially through my coaching and self-development journey, I have really been able to just simply be like, thank you. And take in the fact that someone has complimented me. Um, But I really, I used to be the same way. I was so down on myself. I look back at pictures when I was, you know, 17 to 25. And I used to think I was fat. Um, I was in bikini contests. Um, I'm not sure if I've ever told you that, but I used to do, so I used to be a Coors Light girl. So I worked for like Miller Coors. And so they have a ton of umbrellas under their, you know, line in Google and uh, batch 19, just a ton of lemon shandy. Um, so, you know, I would be in these like little tight outfits and I used to literally think I was fat cause I would compare myself to the other models. And then we would be entered in bikini contests if we wanted to do it. Cause it was a way to make money. And I look back and I'm like, how could I have thought that I was fat? Like I was gorgeous. Like I had an amazing body. I still do. Um, so I'm wondering for you, like, I know for me, I feel like it was just not feeling good enough for boys, I guess, like certain relationships, not making me feel well, what was the root for the reason why you started your fitness journey and your hardcore eating and your, you know, what was, what was the root of that? What, what started it in the first place? Yeah. The male gaze was definitely a really, really big one. Um, because, I think I was constantly how I describe it is because I kind of developed early and matured early, I guess, and just got some unwanted attention in as young as middle school and then high school. Um, It was like this thing of like, pay attention to me and look how perfect I am, but don't pay attention to me too much because that hurts. And when you've been like sexually assaulted or even just catcalled or felt unsafe in your body in some way it's always that line of like that game of I want to control the amount of tension the amount and the type of attention that I'm receiving and I'm going to control it based on how I look like we think that we're going to be in charge of it like if we look a certain way then 
this person will like us. Or if we don't look a certain way, or if we dress down, then we won't get that unwanted attention in the streets or whatever. So it was just like, just typical, like being a woman in this society of like, trying to bend and mold yourself in order to not just please other people, but also protect yourself from other people. Um, and that was a really, really big one for me too. Um, and I also grew up in like a, just a very like heteronormative <laughs> environment where it's like what Same. boys think of you yeah. yeah, is like the end all be all and being liked is flattering or like, you know, yeah. being attractive is the most important thing about you. Yeah, no, that's, that's definitely, I mean, similar in my family, I, I grew up in a family where, you know, my mom and I'm very open about this. So my mom, you know, knows, and I talk about this a lot, but my mom basically taught me to rely on a man and that you should, you know, rely on men to take care of you. And your job is to cook and clean and like look pretty and, you know, do all the things. Um, coincidentally, she's actually extremely supportive of me and has always been. Um, And she learned very quickly when I got into college that I'm more like my father, who's an entrepreneur. And my dad, my dad also raised me. I mean, I'm in a hundred percent Italian Catholic family. So, you know, my dad also raised me, you know, your husband should make money. He should make more than you and stuff. But now my dad is also, and I don't know if it's just society changing in the past 10 years or what, but they're both so proud of me. They're both very, um, they're just so supportive. And my dad is like my first, I mean, he's like my biggest fan, literally. He tells me all the time. And he also gives me a lot of business advice because he's been an entrepreneur since he was like 18. So, um, but I understand because I also, you know, grew up thinking that things had to be in their traditional norms. And if it was out of the norms, then that was wrong. Um, Speaking of society, and I know you kind of touched on this a little bit about, you know, just how society makes women feel in general um, as objects, as, you know, unwanted, too wanted. With the pandemic and with all of the political stuff that's going around right now, um, or not now, well, yeah, now, let's say now, but do you think that society is going in a good direction or like, what do you feel like it's changed? Like, how do you think it, how do you feel being on this journey for the last like four or five years that from that time to this time? That's a really great question. Let me give that a thought. And before I give that a thought, I just want to touch Mm -hmm. on what you said that really landed with me, how you're like, my parents raised me in this certain restricted way but also they're my biggest fans and I think it's because our parents and just people in general they only see the possibilities to the extent that they can see them for themselves you know so um, because of yeah because of how they were raised like your mom was doing the best that she could with what she knew by being like find a wonderful husband because you Mm -hmm. did my mom was the same way like you deserve the best man in the world like he's gonna be like this and um, I look back on it actually kind of fondly because there was also a lot that my mom has taught mm. me from that in terms of worth and stuff. But subconsciously, it was still like really limiting because that's where we were at even 10, 20 years ago, you know. Um, and to that point, like, are we growing or where is it going? I think we are in a third wave of feminism for sure. 
like yeah. 100%. Um, I think Definitely. scholars have already even labeled it. Like it's in textbooks. Oh, that's um, awesome. Yeah. So I think I taken a few sociology courses and we've learned about first wave and then second wave and now we're definitely in a pretty heightened third wave yeah Yeah. um I think we're we're also coming to acknowledge is like intersectional feminism has always been present but um more so now I think people are just starting to realize what these things mean and unfortunately it's things that the marginalized communities have been telling us for a while but we're just kind of now opening up to it or learning to receive it and struggling with a lot of the emotions that come with just your whole world being questioned. So um, do I think that it's headed in a good direction? I hope so. I think it's also one of those things that it has to get like worse before it gets better. Like things need to get like shaken up. And that's what we're probably seeing now is like a big wake up call. And this happens every so often, right? Like Mm -hmm. everything is pretty cyclical, whether it's like business or just society in general and the way we go from like open to conservative to this to that right like um civil civil rights movements like all of those things happen in like a cyclical way and so it's kind of natural for like every decade or so for there to be some kind of uproar and every few decades to be an even bigger one um but I think that's yeah I think if you just like take a look back at history it's like right when was the last time right we were feeling or I think the most divided and there are people who study like division and what does identity mean and historically what have we learned I mean those are all things I am no expert in but just like personally interested in um the last time that we had this kind of like era I guess was like 60s probably 70s Mm -hmm. like Vietnam War stuff civil rights movements right and Mm -hmm. I think we're definitely in the middle of another one right now and for people that are like scared or feeling overwhelmed um, I think it's just important to remind ourselves that good things happen from these big movements and even though they're they're scary and you don't know kind of where to look or sometimes who to believe like I think overall they do lead to some positive change. Yeah. No, I completely agree. And I mean, to be honest, I come from like a very, um, I don't know the word that I want to use, but I, I struggle a lot with feminism because I am so like, like I have like this huge woman empowerment side, right. Where like, I love that like women are becoming CEOs. We have a possible woman vice uh, president coming up. Like I like embrace that, but I also, have those thoughts of like I like that Walt pays for dinner and I like to cook and clean and I do like to have kind of like traditional roles and so that's like kind of my personal struggle and I know struggles that like other you know women have because men will say now like oh women have it so easy now like this is the easiest time you guys have had it we're equal we're blah 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 blah. and I'm like it's really it, it really is a struggle for us like as well. You know, I remember I took a poll on my full of sips account like a long time ago about, okay, well, if you are a woman and you are like doing all of this, are we willing to like go to war? And how do we feel about that? And that like brought up a lot of conversation because that terrifies me. You know what I mean? So like, it's like, I'm selfish. Like I want all this stuff, but I also want to like, be treat like be on a pedestal at the same time so that's kind of like my struggle have you struggled with anything like that coming from the same type of family or you know what are kind of like your your struggles with that 
Oh, this is like so, and again, I think feminist academic scholars will be able to put like very succinct words for how we're feeling, but yeah. um, have you seen that TikTok that's like the feminism leaving my body when the check comes? <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like so funny. Um, like the masculine coming down basically? No, like, you know, a lot of people will be like, okay, let's split because I'm a feminist, but I'm still in the boat. And so here's, here's how I see it. Like, first of all, anybody who tells you like, we're equal now, and you have all the opportunities and women have it so easy. And now it's men who are oppressed. That is just not true. Yeah, Um, I know. Like, it's just so far from the truth. Um, Statistically, and otherwise, people who need numbers proof can find that people who need anecdotal emotional proof can talk to women um and know that that's not the case um I think how I feel about it is well what was your question again (laughs) it's like I have so many thoughts like do you struggle at all too because you were also like raised in a traditional family I know you know your your um, significant other is also raised in like a more traditional type of family um so do you have those struggles too of like also wanting to be like doted on but then also having this like I can do everything myself side okay yeah I actually have an answer for that so yes and no um I think again because since I found words to describe it there is a difference between being a feminist and any person who is kind and loving and humane should identify as a feminist which Mm -hmm. is like the political social movement for equality between men and women right right and I think what we're talking about and where we find like the two conflict but they don't and we can totally separate them is like that masculine feminine dance of energies and like how you like to be taken care of if you have more of a feminine expression and again this has nothing to do with your genitalia but more so of like how you are how your personality is like where do you do you like to soften and true you know what I mean so So like even a man can be the type of person who wants to or they them whoever who wants them to you know be loved more or more attention or something you're right wow that's a great point and I never thought of it that way See, this is and and I'm glad you asked because it is something that I grappled with. And I think it came through conversations with my boyfriend who it took him probably like a solid year into our relationship before he could confidently say, I am a feminist and everything you're saying makes sense. But it took like as long as we've been in a relationship constantly being like, this is what it's like for women. Like it's scary walking alone at night. You'll never understand what that feels like, you know? Um, You'll never understand what it's like to not be believed when you tell a story, even if it's not like a crazy abusive story, but just something like simple as in like somebody hurt me, you know? Yeah. Um, You'll, you just won't know. So it took a lot of those conversations and also a lot of watching like other people's stories too. We watch a lot of like TikToks together and TED Talks, TikToks and TED Talks. We watch um, a ton this... of TED Talks. Yeah. We have our, and our that people just... we're obsessed with. <laughs> right? Obsessed with Some growth. people watch like TV shows in the background when they're cooking. Walt and I watch TED Talks and yeah. like John Asaraf and like Tony Robbins. <laughs> I love that. That's so great. Yeah. yeah. So I think there's a distinction between like the point of feminism is to be able to have a choice and a say in that, right? Not to feel like you're forced to cook and clean or else no man will ever want you. Of but course. you're in a healthy, loving relationship with a man and this is how you express your 
gender roles however yeah. you see fit right you know and it and it goes like and there's so many different aspects like somebody could be like I'm like really really submissive in bed but then mm-hmm. I'm like super duper dominant when it comes to like my business and the way things are going to be run in the house and like the way I want to raise my children and like this and that and discipline whatever and it's just about like doing that dance with each other but the beauty of feminism being at the foundation and just knowing that at the end of the day you're equal is the fact that you can have those conversations and nothing is unsaid and you don't feel oppressed or like you can't express that because maybe I don't know maybe somebody's with a man who wants to be dominated in bed yeah. and you feel so ashamed about that and it's like thanks to feminism that they don't have to be ashamed of it. of these things that you yeah. desire you know yeah I love that And if anybody was wondering, I'm the same. I am very submissive. I love to be (laughs) dominated in bed. We were all wondering that. (laughs) Everyone was wondering about my my sex life. Um, But same, like I am so masculine when it comes to my business. That is so crazy. And I think a lot of it also has to do with like the area that we grow up in. Um, like I know living in California and then now living the past couple of years in Connecticut, it is very different. Like California, um, a man being a, more feminine or having like a feminine side, even the way that they dress, the style, yeah. the way they talk is much more embraced than here where you Mm. have all the alpha males. Um, Basically, like I live in like the Jersey Shore house is Mm -hmm. like all of these like Jersey boys where I particularly live. There's a ton of like gorilla juice heads as they call them on the show. Like it is nuts. And, but I have been, so, you know, I own my own media company. I have been since I started it like a little, like what, like a year and a half ago now, I had to fire a client because he was inappropriate to me. Um, I have another client currently who will never answer my calls or talks, but if another guy who I work with calls him or talks to him, he picks up his calls. And like, have I asked him about it? No, but it makes me wonder, like, is it because it's a guy? And I have been told like, well, you know, I try to call him, blah, 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 blah. Well, I'll call him. Don't worry. He'll talk to me. And I'm like, what does that mean? Because I'm a woman. He won't talk to me. And so um, I'm really starting to see it, especially now that I live here. It's very different here. Everything is, like I said, I'm around. uh, Connecticut is um, our biggest, like, I guess would be niche of culture is Italian here. Um, So Mm -hmm. you have like a lot of Italian, um, you know, Catholics here that are very traditional they are very stubborn. They don't want to learn like anything new. And I struggle with that. But I'm also very grateful because I do live next to New York City. And so I think it's like a good balance. <laughs> yeah, yeah, for so. sure. There's definitely that old school. And I totally relate to that of like, because Stan is from Queens. And now we live in Arizona. So we're definitely like West Coast people at heart. And he's been here for 10 plus years. But there's like, we got invited to a wedding in February in New York and I am low key <laughs> just worried to go meet like all of these people that have been born and raised in New York and the way they are with their wives. And we're also very Jewish. So it's like very conservative. Like half these mm-hmm. people have arranged marriages like straight up and Jeez. yeah. Um, and they're slowly but surely like breaking free from that, but it's definitely things that take a couple generations Um, And yeah, what you're describing about like just picking up on these certain things, I mean, that's the epitome of microaggressions, right? Where you like know 
that this is directed negatively towards you. You can't pinpoint it. You can't necessarily put words on it or, I don't know, take it to HR or make a thing out of it. But you know that something is up. Um, and that's, you know, when you know, you know, you have like a gut feeling and there's evidence to prove that that's, <laughs> that's what happens. And that is the reason. And that's why we need feminism. <laughs> yep. <laughs> <laughs> um, it's funny that you bring up the wedding because I recently took Walt to a wedding in LA and he had like a, like he felt like not my immediate group of friends cause he like knows them and stuff, but he felt like overall the people that he met seemed very like fake and sensitive and like that's his because in New York, what you're going to see is like people are very aggressive. They're very direct with you. They have no problem asking you personal questions right off the bat where I feel like the West Coast just kind of treads a little yeah. bit more lightly yeah um, we just got back from LA and we definitely feel that sometimes we look around and this isn't every new place right sometimes you look around you're like well people are so weird and different (laughs) but they're looking at you what is this guy what are we we like are we the outcasts or are they like what's going on here that's funny they're uh, geographical stuff it's wild yeah Um, So I think one thing that would be like a great um, aspect to talk about is changing our parents' mindsets. So I know like I have changed my parents' mindset through my self-development, through my coaching. I have helped them talk better to each other in their own relationships. My mom is now starting her own business. Like it is just crazy how you can. And, you know, like I said, with my traditional values, when all of this like different race and, um, you know, all this stuff started bringing up, I had to have like a serious talk with my parents because they don't really get it. They think that they can still like say like a word here and there and that it's like, you know, well, it's fun. I have like black friends or an Asian friend and I'm like, no, 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 you guys aren't getting this. Like this this is what's going on. (laughs) You're what's wrong. (laughs) No. Um, I love my, I love them to death, but you know, I do come from a very traditional family. You know, I grew up thinking, you know, you're Italian, you should be with someone Italian, um, which is very weird because I was never with anyone Italian and now I'm with Walt. So I guess we have our parents' wishes, but, um, you know, up until Walt, I was never with anybody Italian. So what do you have any tips? Like have, did you go through that first of all with being able to change your parents' mindset? And if so, like, do you have any tips that my listeners and followers can do to start changing and not even parents, like partners, children, and like, what's kind of your, your take on where they can start to change this mindset? Oh, I don't know if I have a good answer because the truth is there's still so much that I'm struggling with family-wise. I know. Um, but I think the the best way that you can change someone else's mindset is to actually change how you approach it and the boundaries that you have going into any kind of, whether it's a conversation or just like an interaction with your family. Um, There's been a lot, like, especially my mom and I, there's been a lot of growth that we've had together, especially since I like opened up to her about my eating disorder. And that was something that was just like unheard of for her because it was just like, well, then just eat, you know? Um, And so she's definitely like grown a lot in that way of just like 
being there for me. I remember she got really mad at me at first, didn't talk to me for a week, and then called back and like apologized and was like, how can I help you? So she's definitely come around and like, my family has grown a lot. And in other ways, we have like, gotten farther apart. Um, Mm -hmm. And my dad's just like a very, very complex individual. He lives in Russia, and we don't talk much. But when we do, we're really close. Um, But I think that for me, like therapy has been a game changer. And um, we do a lot of practices around like reparenting. And quite literally, that is like, going back to certain situations, whether it's in your childhood or adulthood, I am also (laughs) recently exploring how we talk so much about childhood trauma. Mm -hmm. And we don't really talk about how like, it doesn't just stop when you turn 18. Like there's a lot of stuff we deal with as adults too. So of course. Anyways, like reparenting yourself through with somebody like a therapist or counselor, you can like go back to certain situations and then be like, okay, what did you need to hear in that moment? Mm -hmm. And really telling yourself that like, what did I need to hear when my mom got mad at me and didn't talk to me for a week? Granted, she came around and I'm so, so grateful for that. But in that moment, like, what did I need to hear that I didn't that really, really hurt me, you know, or um, going through and just like, I don't know, just evaluating all these situations that shaped you, whether, like you said, it's with your parents or your children or whatever, and just approaching it from like a new place of like, regardless of what your reaction is or your response, usually it's a reaction. Very Mm -hmm. rarely do people respond. Regardless of what their emotional reaction is, this is my intention and this is what I'm going to try to forward and I'm doing this for me because I need to and no matter how it turns out, I still know that this was the right thing to do, whether it's a conversation, a boundary, a whatever request, whatever that may be, um, it has to be from you and you have to be like really solid of the things you can control which is on your end your mindset your feelings about it your approach your intention you know yeah and I completely agree with that I always tell my clients that if you you know want your partner to learn manifestation or um, help your parents or anything like that it's really leading by example and like walking Mm -hmm. the walk and talking the talk and then they start believing I mean you said you know stand a year to like really get onto the feminist chain because you probably saw the action that you put in and the results and so same thing with Walt like it took him a year and now he's like oh okay her upstairs manifesting in meditation like I don't know what the fuck she's doing but uh it seems to be working and so now (laughs) here we are watching TEDx talks on Friday Saturday nights instead of going out um so I absolutely love that I Um, think that no sorry can I just add one thing to that (laughs) yeah yeah I think a lot of people too like they kind of feel it like Stan has early on has been like you're so connected but is he going to use the word manifest do you manifest to this probably not but he has his own (laughs) words right and like certain people just really struggle with certain labels or like Stan will be the first to be like I mean, his whole business for the past 10 years, he's been big on like helping single moms and like 
um, just everything that he's said and done, nothing has ever been anti-feminist to me. But for me, I'm like a word girl. So I'm like, I need you to, I need to hear you say the words, you know? <laughs> and that's where he like put his guard up. Cause he's like, I'm doing all these things. I'm like, you need to say it. So even though like, I, th I think what it came down to, and this is where I find people really to open up, whether it's Stan or my mom or my sister or whatever, is having like vision conversations. And quite literally, that is like, okay, well, what is the vision that you have for our relationship? Or what is the vision that you have for um, our relationship? I can talk about this with my mom if we're in the middle of a fight. Like, do you want to be like your mom and you were? Do you want to create that again? Do you want to keep yeah. that generational pattern? And Whenever I ask somebody about like, okay, well, if you were to have it, there's so many different ways you can phrase vision conversations too. Um, but one of my favorites is like, okay, well, if you were to have it all your way, what would this look like? What do you want me to do? How do you want me to act? And usually they'll say stuff that like really, really makes sense, right? And you're like, yeah, like, of course. And I think that's just like a more an open way to like, get to know somebody without like trying to change them yeah. right off the bat do you know what I mean yeah no I totally know yeah. what you mean yeah it, exactly it just be nonchalant slash sly about it I guess uh Walt and I had a date day the other day and this honestly this happens to us a lot which is one of the reasons why he probably is like oh, okay I get it now but we went to go flow. I don't know if you do float deprivation, but um, we do float de mm. deprivation tanks. And we got complimentary floats that day. Then we went out to lunch. We got complimentary drinks. And, like, this happens to us a lot. And it's because I tell him, like, it's because we're good people and we what we put out into the world is what we get back. And whether he wants to use the word manifestation or not, mm -hmm. like, that's what it is. And I don't make him, like, say the word and stuff. But, yeah, he's he's getting there. <laughs> and you don't make him say the word. I'm like, say the word. Say it. Yeah. Say manifest with Alexis. I'm just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, so great. Okay, you guys. So Mary's boyfriend is like a doppelganger of my ex-boyfriend. <laughs> really? Yeah. Didn't I send you the picture? Oh my God. They look so like if Stan me the had picture. no if Stan had no facial hair, they look exactly alike. He's Armenian too. He's That's actually wild. He, he's like we're still friends. He listens to my podcast. He's probably listening to this. So <laughs> wait, did I did I tell you the Armenian eyelash story? No. So when I was getting my, my COVID vaccine, it was like at a stadium and we pulled up and the guy that was like directing the flow of traffic like comes up to our window to ask me about the vaccine related thing or whatever. And Stan was driving me sitting in the front seat and the guy like looked over at him and he's like, are you Armenian? And Stan's like, no, but he gets that a lot. He's like, no, I'm yeah. not, but I get that a lot. And the guy's like, oh, cause like, I could really tell by your eyelashes. You have such long and thick eyelashes. Yeah, they do. <laughs> they really, really do. Yeah. I think it has to be that. So we were <laughs> – he was like, uh, thank you. <laughs> I know. Um, but so Mary and I went on a long hike with our retreat sisters, um, and it was amazing. At the top, we had this beautiful waterfall, and – I got topless pictures in it and I jumped off of a waterfall and it, a cliff and it was amazing. Um, but on the way back, I don't know how this happened, but me and Mary ended up 
just basically walking back the whole time. I think we just all split up and like was on our own thing. So we got to know each other a lot. And one thing that we have in common is that we have very, very healthy relationships with Stan and Walt, um, which I think is a lot of um, struggles that a lot of my clients and my listeners have with their significant others, whether it's, um, you know, settling within themselves or for the other person or self-sabotaging. So I know, you know, what works for our relationship, but kind of tell me how you, I guess, maybe overcome struggles in your relationship in terms of like body image or in terms of just communication with each other. And how do you really like make it work? And and why do you know that he is your, you know, your soulmate and, and the person that you're going to be with? Well, to answer that question of the soul and why I know that he, or how I know that he's the person I'm going to be with, it's because of how we handle the hard times yep. and because of how we fight. Um, yep. I think like when things are happy-go-lucky, a lot of people are like, we never fight or he's so amazing and so sweet. And like those things are all so great. And I think you really know in the middle of a fight and like how they handle it. So for me, I have some really big non-negotiables just based on my past and the stuff I have dealt with. But some big things for me is like, we don't yell or scream or cuss at each other. We don't throw stuff like that. Yeah. Yeah. We don't have like that. And I actually know, I know couples who do have that and it works for them because that's not like their deal breaker like everybody has yeah. their own deal breaker I don't mean like physical abuse but I mean like yeah. I know couples that Some like couples to, like, will be like we're a fighting couple like that's yeah. how we are and They're like, like, we, yeah, and, like they're happy yeah. with that and it's like okay like yeah I, yeah it makes me uncomfortable <laughs> to be around it but same but I literally yeah. my best friend or and her husband are literally like that they'll be like fuck you fuck you too and they'll just like <laughs> go at it and then the next second they're like fine and I'm like okay but that to me that's like triggering yeah yeah, Um, and traumatic so you have to just you have to know what your non-negotiables are Mm -hmm. before Stan and I started dating I made like a I think this is like a common practice of making like a non-negotiables list but I kind of took it next level and I did like must have x qualities must not have x qualities and (laughs) would be nice qualities so those are things like I don't know um just whatever that may be for you that's kind of in between not a deal breaker but would be nice um so yeah that's how I know and how we handle stuff I think one thing that amazes me so much about him is that with the whole body image thing like he's really really opened up to me um and just opened up in general like his heart, his mind with so many things. Cause he's like <laughs> the way I describe him and I'm sure Walt is probably similar, but Stan's like a normal dude. Like yeah, definitely. he just needs, you know, a job, a project, something to do. Yep. He loves fixing the house. Like yep. he mm-hmm. likes his family. He'll bring his mom flowers. Like he's a good normal guy. Yeah. And <laughs> I'm like the opposite. And also the people <laughs> I've dated in the past are just like very like, ah, like, yeah quote-unquote passionate or like just wild you know yeah. um yeah. and Stan like I literally call him steady Stan oh he's, <laughs> yeah, he's just the way he is and my therapist there was a time where every single week she would have to remind me that stability is sexy because when you only know one thing and when your parents were a certain way or when your mom's boyfriends were a certain way and my mom went through a lot of them like 
you only learn to receive the love that you saw modeled to you um, as a child or as a teen too. Like teen relationships will really shape you and how you think of things. So anyways, all that to say, I think what I've really loved about him and how we handle things is I always remind him that the vision for my relationship that I want for us is vulnerability and openness. And to him, that is a challenge. Like that is a challenge, Mm -hmm. but just because it's challenging doesn't mean he doesn't value it. And he'll be the first to say that that's his, one of his number one things too. And for him, like his big value that I also share, it just expresses itself differently, but he's very big on like boundaries and space and like healthy ways of working things out. I have to like sit and sit in my office, like give him space, let him go on his walk, let him have his drive, that kind of stuff. So yeah. I don't know if that answers your question. No, it absolutely does. You, you know, you gave some tips on communication, non-negotiables, making a list and all things that I've done myself. And I, same with me, like I came from very, very yelling relationships. My ex-fiance, we screamed at each other. We've had the cops called on us two or three times, at least two times that I can remember. Um you know, I hit him in the head with a phone one time, like it just bad. It was not fun. We actually like our best friends at the time. Um, we all went on a Vegas trip together and they told us afterwards, like, we'll never go on a trip with you guys ever again because mm-hmm. of the fighting and all of that. And we were the same way. We were like, that's what we do. I remember when he proposed to me, he even said, I know that we fight a lot, but that's the way we are. And we just love each other no matter what. And I was like, mm. yes. And I'm like, what? <laughs> like thinking back now, like that's just because I really wasn't the type of person to yell. My, I'm, I mean, now being in this relationship for two years, I know that really wasn't for me. And luckily for Walt and I, we'll, we'll butt heads about things. We're not perfect, but we, we don't yell at each other. And mm-hmm. name calling for me is also a non-negotiable. Like you can't call me a slut or a bitch or anything like that, which he never would and never has, but something like that, that my ex-boyfriend would say, um, you know, like that's triggering from high school. Like that's the way boys talk to you in freaking high school. Um, so that's definitely a non-negotiable for me. What else are my non-negotiables? They have to have a job. (laughs) Yeah. Can I ask how you knew that that relationship was? I think you told me the breakup story, but I need a refresher. And how did you know that you didn't want like yelling and fighting and that kind of expression of love? Yeah. I mean, to be honest, I think I always knew. I think I always knew like I wanted to make it work so much because I – I never felt, I was thinking about this the other day. The big difference is that I never felt like he adored me. Where like Walt adores me. Not only he adores me, we adore each other. Like we'll do anything for each other. We love each other so much. It's unconditional. Whereas I felt like in that relationship, I was always trying to prove myself and I was always on eggshells. And um, because to be on like to towards the end of our relationship when we were engaged and stuff and we were older because mind you we started when he was twenty one years old and I was 
I was like four years older than him. So he was 24. I was 21. I was 25. And we were together for 11 years. So, you know, people change every 10 years, like their person, not their personalities, but a lot of things in their life change. And um, I just feel like it started off very toxically, you know, cheating on both ends. And by the time we got to the end, we actually didn't yell as much at each other as much, but we didn't really yell at each other that much. It just was like a comfort formality almost. And we broke off the relationship, uh, the wedding, and we spent six months apart. And then we tried to come back together again. But for me in that particular relationship, there was also a lot of drinking involved um, Mm. on his end that I was not okay with. And like, don't get me wrong, like Walt and I drink, we love wine, we love cocktails, but it was like me having to take care of him because he would black out on dates, on um, trips. And I used to think in my early 20s that that was normal because we just party in college and stuff like that. But now here we are, now I'm in my 30s. And the same thing is still going on. And I have to like carry him back to a hotel room like that. I was like, this is not my life. And it was very triggering for me. And it still is triggering for me. Like if Walt goes out, like I have like all this fear of like things happening and like all this stuff. Um, Because to be honest with you and Walt Walt and I kind of have a, um, not an agreement, but we say like nothing good happens after midnight. So if there's ever a choice to go home, you go home um, because it's true. And we're in the, you know, because of my last relationship and everything, I have severely toned down my drinking in the past three years and we all have our nights, but um, yeah, I used to drink almost every day. I was in the sales. I was being entertained by clients. I was entertaining clients. My, you know, fiance drank every day. Um, but yeah, so that was really, I mean, it was a lot of reasons, but, and I always tell people like not to settle. I just did a podcast on not settling, but I always like people to know that it doesn't mean that I was settling on him or like he was settling and he wasn't good enough for me. It's like you settle in your own life. And that's what I was doing. I was settling for something that was less than what I knew was in my personal highest good, regardless Mm -hmm he's going to be amazing for somebody else, you know, but, um, it just wasn't, I just knew it wasn't for me. And I became very mature towards the end of the relationship where I was like, I'm holding him back from Mm -hmm. finding somebody who is perfect for him and who will be fulfilled because I don't feel fulfilled, not because of him, but in my own life. And I wasn't ever going to be able to, and that's really how the breakup went. I was like, I'm not fulfilled in my own life. He said, well, if I can't make you happy, I'm never going to make you happy. And I said, it's not about you making me happy. I need to learn how to make myself happy. And I'll never be able to be with anybody until I'm, I'm happy with myself at that time. And it was true. And I'm so glad because I took the next three years to work on myself, dated some frogs, big time frogs. <laughs> I kissed him too. <laughs> I had like everything in those three years. I like dated this guy. I really liked he he passed away on Christmas Eve. Like I talked what? to him two days before. Yeah. I committed suicide. And this was three days before I met Walt. Yeah. I have oh. chills. That's traumatic. Yeah. It's so crazy. Um, I will never forget. I was in San Francisco for a conference and his friend told me, and I was like, I just talked to him two days ago. I was supposed to hang out with him when I got back. Um, 
I was like supposed to hang out with him and Walt. So yeah, I went through, I feel like I went through a lot in the dating scene. I went through all the motions. I went through trying Bumble. I like dated one person from Bumble. Um, I tried, you know, just not dating anybody. I tried dating someone older with Kit. Like I did the, all the things, you know, and yeah, I'm the type of person who I was really good in those three years too about just dating and not really getting too physical until I like really liked them. You know what I mean? Because like yeah. when we're younger, we tend to just kind of like hop in the sheets. We want to see, you know, test the merchandise before we buy it. I get it. Um, but I became a little <laughs> bit, I became a little bit more picky and I would be like, okay, I really want to form like a relationship and stuff like that. Um, but yeah, so, so. Yeah, wow. I don't know. I don't know where I was going with that, but my point no, is, is that I really worked on myself after the end of that relationship. And I know you had something similar because you went to Canada. You were with your boyfriend, and how did that end? Yeah, I think what I really admire about you is that you made like the big decision to break up with somebody because I think that's really hard. A lot of us stay in relationship until something big and bad happens um, mm-hmm. or otherwise we justify it. And I really love what you said about growing up going from your 20s to 30s. And that could be a really good test for people to be like, is this something I want to deal with in 10 years? Because if somebody's drinking a lot college, like they might tone it down when they're 30 or 40, but not that much. Um, you know, and yeah. people, I do believe that people do change and oh, also yeah. – you know, but it many more than do. Um, and with like just being taught, like I'm from the boat, this I'm talking about toxic, not abusive, but a lot of people are like, oh, he was toxic or she was toxic. They're toxic. Everybody's toxic. And I don't know if I really buy that. Um, I think that mm-hmm. certain people can be toxic for each other or bring out like toxic qualities in each other. And that's how my ex mm-hmm. and I were like. Yep. Again, he's going to be amazing for someone else. And I think he's already found someone else. I don't know. But um, I just – yeah, same thing. Like I knew that I was holding him back and he was holding me back. And we had that like really passionate, but it was also like aggressive, throwing shit, yelling, whatever, making up and gl- glamorous too, you know, like traveling and – dining out mm-hmm. and entertain like you said it was all of that mm-hmm. and everything mm-hmm. in between mm-hmm. when I was like really young too and when you're mm-hmm. young like I hated when people would tell me this but when you're 18 19 years old and somebody is whining and dining you like it feels good like and mm-hmm. as much as you can say you have a head on your shoulders like I think everybody even when you're older too if somebody's like really investing in you in a way that you haven't been invested in before and for me that big thing was financial because I grew up really really poor. Um, so for me, like seeing money like that and seeing somebody spend it on me, just like filled a void that I've had my whole life. Yeah. Um, so that was really big and same thing with the, like, you know, gender roles and stuff and just like taking care of, like that was big. And so anyways, long story short, we were, it was probably like a year, year and a half into it that it was like neighbor's I don't know if they called the cops, but they definitely came knocking on the door and holes and walls and like stuff like that. And I unfortunately didn't have the courage to leave on my own. Like I, I felt like I needed, well, I was also all alone in this country too and very reliant, Mm -hmm. but at a certain point I just like closed my eyes head down and put a security deposit down 
on an apartment and we actually had a deal that like if we weren't to work out because I left my whole life and college and transferred and everything um I he had like a check pre-written for me that I could cash at any point if I wanted to leave so I cashed that fucking check (laughs) you go (laughs) girl (laughs) I put down a security deposit on an apartment I live separately again we're still trying to date and he would take me to Costco and (laughs) all that stuff yeah and then um yeah and then at a certain point I just decided to leave and I you know, you have to, sometimes you have to do things to make sure you leave, tell everybody, you know, like let people hold you accountable. Um, I started shipping or I, I sent a couple of suitcases to my parents' house cause I was leaving. I got a job, um, like working at a cocktail lounge. And when we were together, he wouldn't let me get a job working at a restaurant. Cause he was like, I don't want anyone to see you yeah. working, you Look, know, yeah. Yeah. Is it, was uh, it like looking cute or he didn't want his family to know that you were working at a restaurant? Like it was like he didn't want his friends to see me working at a like a bar. Not a bar, yeah. it was like a cocktail yeah. lounge. Yeah. Um, or like just me working in general because that, you know, was not something that I, he wanted for his image. Which yeah, whatever. But I, I'm so grateful I got out of that and I ended up moving back and he ended up growing a lot too and I think it was like months later that he called me and basically said like thank you because if it wasn't for you I wouldn't have experienced all this growth in my life oh um, that's yeah. awesome I and then he texted me would call me and say that <laughs> he yeah we're we're friends we're fine like we don't hang out or talk or anything but he did text me because um do you remember the show uh Indian matchmaking did you watch that no it was on netflix like in quarantine or maybe right before quarantine anyways it's called indian matchmaking i think and it's i'm gonna have to watch it yeah and he's indian so anyways (laughs) he he, i was watching the show because it was so like almost nostalgic for me (laughs) i love indian men i'm like so attracted to them (laughs) i know i know they have that look right yeah um they're so hot and yeah so i watched the show actually stan and i watched it together um and he was like oh is this reminding you of your past and (laughs) it was just funny but anyways my ex texted me and he's like hey do you know so and so from indian matchmaking like i matched with her on because it's such a small community yeah of course (laughs) and he was like we I think they had a date planned or they went on a date fell through anyways I thought that was really really funny (laughs) oh I love that Yeah. yeah I think the one thing with me was that like I couldn't feel like myself in that last relationship I don't know if that's how you felt Oh my God, I'll give you the best example. You will die. <laughs> he would not, my ex fiance wouldn't let me poop in front of him. <laughs> so when me and Mary were, were at, the, at the retreat in Costa Rica, I was like, yeah, Mary, I just FaceTimed you wall on the toilet. She was like, I just did the same thing with Stan. <laughs> but like my yes. ex, I would have never been able to do something like that. He would have yeah. been like, that's disgusting. I'm getting off. Call me later. And so like, yeah, I think- yeah. To me, like, if you can be intimate, like, in all honesty, if I can, like, stick your dick in my mouth, then you should be able to watch me pee. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah. That's such yeah. a great way to phrase it, straight up. <laughs> just yeah. Saying. I think a healthy relationship just unlocks, like, just a, a good side of you. Like, you like who you are when you're with that person, yes, you know? exactly. And you're not yeah. constantly feeling like something's missing. Yeah. And that's the yeah. easiest 
thing. If you feel like something's missing, it's because it is missing. Um, So I'm so appreciative of you being here. There's one more question that I want to talk about because I know that you have a little sister. I have a little brother. Um, They've both like had teenage struggles And I'm going through a lot of stuff with my brother right now in trying to help him gain confidence and um, just really find out like what works for him. What are some things that you do with your sister? I guess lessons that you pass on to your sister that really help her with her confidence because she does seem they do a lot of podcast or you guys do a lot of TikToks together and stuff. And like she seems like she has great confidence. So I'm just wondering if you know, if, if she just was, is like that because of you or, you know, and just having such an inspiration or is she like that because, you know, you've passed on like concrete lessons to her? I don't know. I think it's a little bit of both. I think she inspires me. So she was always the one that was like teaching me because she definitely from the time she was like two, three years old, she was funky and and fun and confident. She wanted to sing and dance. I think a lot of us are like that as children, but we lose it, you know? And she was like, you know, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, 10. Now she's 13 and she's still that way. So I think her personality is very much like, you know, she likes to be entertaining and funny and um, she doesn't care about being weird. Like she prides herself on being like funny like that. Um, So I, I really love that about her. And I... Also, I'm just still like struggling to answer that too because I think with teenagers, like who they are in front of you could be very different than who they are with their friends or who they are like behind the scenes. Because yeah. I remember being a teenager and I appear like I appeared totally normal and like had good grades and like all this stuff. And then behind the scenes, like I cry myself to sleep about something that now feels silly but at the time it felt so real and it's like so hard your hormones are flying everywhere and now with yeah now with the internet and like the cyberbullying going on and the pressure and like the way the kids these days are involved in like politics and feeling the weight of the world on their shoulders like it's a lot so I really really feel for them as far as like what I try to do with Alana is um I actually I've been meaning to record a podcast episode for for mine for a while about this but one thing that I found to very like helpful is almost spending like like I used to go over to my parents house a few times a week like for dinner and then I would come home and I would see Alana like three to four days a week and we were very very close but more recently I actually stopped going over there as often and when I do hang out with my sister it's for an extended amount of time so I'll make Ooh. sure that like we go on like a two-hour bike ride and I think after like one hour things start opening up like you start talking about things that are deeper or she'll come and sleep over here and we'll spend like even two days with each other straight but instead of like trying to see them and talk to them and be like, Hey, how are you? How's school (laughs) every day? It's almost easier. And I, I, I'm no child development psychology expert, but like, I almost feel like they just open up a little bit more because they feel like they have enough space to have things to tell you. Um, Mm. And again, 
you know what I mean? Like teenagers are really hard because if you're like, hey, how's it going? They'll be good, fine, <laughs> you know? Um, and so with my sister, I almost like now I think I only see her maybe once a week, maybe twice. Um, but it's for like we'll go on long bike rides or long walks or long drives. Like she'll call me and she's like, hey, can we get stuck in traffic this weekend? Because that's <laughs> when we have our big best talks. Um, and I think that goes with a lot of people too. Like we talked about this with you and Walt, like because you got so close so fast and like – with relationships where you spend like extended amounts of time together. That's why I think long distance relationships for a lot of people um, bring them closer is because yep. even though you're not together all the time, it's like when you spend an extended amount of time together, that's when you get really close. Yeah. And I mean, that makes so much sense because I have always lived far from my brother, whether it's a couple hours away or now across the country because he's in California and I'm in Connecticut. Oh, wow. But I have always been that sister that I take him on long weekends. And he definitely, out of the siblings, like he's the closest to me. And even though we have a big age gap of almost 20 years, I think it's like 18 or 19 years um, I know, but we're still like best friends. I mean, he's been like my best friend since he's been nine or 10. He tells me everything, um, yeah. as I've told you some personal stuff about me and him, but, um, he has, you know, really, um, opened up and you're right. He does because at the beginning it's more like, ha ha ha. But then towards the end of the trips that we do, he was just here with Walt and I for a week, um, a couple of months ago. And I took him on an overnight for his birthday. Like we went to Mohegan Sun, which is a casino in Connecticut. I took him to Tao for dinner and you do, they do, they open, the longer you're with them, the more they open up to you. So I really love that advice that if you're trying to like set an example for your siblings or for someone younger, even kids to not you know to really try to put in the time and have the alone time with them especially yeah. if you have multiple kids you know I know friends that have raised kids friends who have um are siblings and they love when their parents just took them you know apart yeah. or the yeah. moms like love when they're like oh I only spent the day with this one today and like dad you know my husband spent the day with the other one and you just get to know them more and they open up to yeah. you more than if it's in like a group setting. Right. That's <sighs> really sweet. I love that. I can't wait to be a parent. I know. Oh, <laughs> that's not for me. But <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't know. I'm still hoping that maybe, you know, when I turn 40, maybe I'll decide I want kids, but it still hasn't happened for me. Either I'm way, the thought- sister the sister that you are for your brother is so, so huge. And that's gonna make such a big impact and ripple effect in his life. Well, that's what I tell Rafi. I'm like, you're going to need to, you know, be the one for me when I get older because you are my child. <laughs> yeah. Thank you. I, I, I feel like he's my kid sometimes. Um, I am so appreciative of you, Mary. Thank you so much for your time today. Can you tell my listeners um, where they can find you and if you have anything coming up? I know we didn't get to really talk about the retreat and Um, I know you don't have any retreats planned, but she is an amazing retreat host. You guys, she, I literally learned what my turning point in my life was, um, which was basically when I moved from Connecticut to California the first time that was like my turning point in my life, but I never knew that. Um, she also got me to disclose something extremely personal that, you know, about my life that I have not disclosed to my followers or um, listeners yet, but I will eventually, um, I ended up telling my parents something that I had never told them before. And um, that was also a result of something that happened to my brother recently. So 
anyways, it's just been, it's been crazy. You've been such an influence in my life for self-love. I can't wait to go to the next retreat. I love you. Tell us where I we can you. find you. Tell, tell me all the things. Uh, I receive that with so much love and I just struggle so much, um, with retreats. Cause I know like I, I love doing them. Um, and I hope to get married and start a family <laughs> and that kind of yeah. stuff. So it's been kind of hard to plan. And I keep telling Stan, I'm like, dude, <laughs> if I was in any other job, I don't mind waiting. But because I need to plan my life <laughs> yeah, at least a year in advance. Um, yeah. But so, yeah, that's just like transparently what's going on personally. But aside from that, I will Bye. be on the – yeah, I hope so. Um, <laughs> I will be on the internet for – a while at Mary's cup of tea everywhere on Instagram, especially and my podcast, the Mary's cup and of tea podcast. And it's a double A, right? At Mary's yeah, it's cup a double of T E A A. Yeah, okay. working <laughs> on getting that single A. Um, <laughs> but yeah, two A's on the Instagram, and uh, yeah, I have a book called The Gift of Self Love, and it's a self love workbook. Um, so that has been doing really well because it got picked up by like women's health and good yes. housekeeping and like yes. wild that's <laughs> um, awesome I actually yeah. you guys I'm almost done with it and it is definitely I don't want to say like an easy read because it's not easy it's challenging the things that you brought up I found that boundaries the boundaries chapter was my hardest chapter personally mm -hmm. both with my family my friends not Walt because I feel like we don't really need boundaries with each other we we like to overgo the boundaries with each other <laughs> in a sexual way but um yeah so it's a great book yeah. you guys and it's available on Amazon right yeah, it's on Amazon or everywhere. If you like to shop small, it's also available at small indie bookstores. But on Amazon, it's definitely the, the cheapest. And um, yeah, I think it's definitely an approachable read. Like it's it's something that can be chilling on your coffee table and you can open it up to whatever section you want that resonates with you. And what's nice is that you can write in it too, um, which I don't know, it's like it makes a whole journey. Yeah, no, I love it. I absolutely love it. And I'm so appreciative of you. I will link all of her info and her book in the show notes, you guys. Thank you for being on the Sip and Vibe. I love you so much. I love you too. Thanks, Alexis. <laughs> You're welcome. Bye. And bye, guys. Keep on vibing. Mwah. <laughs>